Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of uh, the Border Prince Review Show for novels. <laughs> because if I don't do this, I'll never get round to reviewing any of the novels. So this is just going to be a quick uh, going through of basically all of the novels that I've read recently that I think you should read. I will go back to doing long-form, full reviews, going into the details of different novels and so on. But for now, I'm just so behind on everything. I really need to just do this quick and get it out to you guys because otherwise I'm just never going to talk about these novels and I'll forget about them and I'll forget everything that's happened in them and I'll never do anything. So, we're just going to do a quick run-through of these novels. Sorry about the sound quality as well. I'm recording this in my living room and hopefully it's fine, but we'll see. Now, for those of you who've never listened or watched one of my review shows, my review episodes before... I just go through novels that I find interesting, that I enjoyed, that I would recommend to friends, to people I know. So I'm not going to be going through... I don't go through novels that I, I don't enjoy, you know, I didn't like. because Not because I'm, like, against negativity. I think negativity is great. It's a great learning tool. <laughs> and it's fun to hate on things. Don't get me wrong. But this is just purely books I have enjoyed. So if I'm telling you I enjoyed it, if I'm doing a review on it... It's basically me giving it a thumbs up. If that means anything to you, I don't know. But we're going to go through these novels anyway. And then basically I should be caught up then. So expect like full novel reviews after this. I don't know if I'm repeating myself. Maybe I am. Let's get into it. So first up we have the novel Reverie by... Who's it by? Peter Ferravari. I think I've managed to pronounce that correctly this time. So Peter Ferravari, Peter, let's just say is a pretty skilled author. I do enjoy his work. He's very highfalutin, I guess, with some of his language. Uh, it's a bit... They're, they're complex. They're more complex books than you would normally get, I guess is a, a way of putting it. And this novel is no exception. So it basically covers the decline of the angels resplendent because they are massive heretics. <laughs> but not really. Basically, they're a chapter of the Blood Angel stock of Sanguinius's bloodline who have managed to defeat the Black Rage, the, the Red Curse, and the, the gene fault in the bloodline of Sanguinius. And they've managed to defeat it somehow by the use of a sort of, a sort of spiritualism, uh, but it's ultimately connected to the warp, uh, but they don't seem to realise this. It's a really complex novel to get into, <laughs> and I don't have the time here. That's why I'm doing it like this. That's why I'm doing the review like this. But it's a really complex story, which goes into the sort of more of a, the esoteric side of the warp uh, about life in the 40k universe. Like, for instance, they live on a very enlightened planet. They're a very enlightened group of space marines, very artistic. And of course, what we what we know about this chapter is they become the angels penitent later on, ruled over by. You know, a sort of council of chaplains uh, under the under the sort of guidance of uh, a mysterious stranger, who I think might be one of the scouts that are mentioned in the story, who go on this sort of spiritual quest within this this portal realm. Uh, yeah, it's a complicated story. It's probably not the best one to get into straight away because <laughs> I can't really sum it up quickly. And there's a lot of different things going on in there. Like, for instance, all of the, the space marines are named after philosophers, basically. You know, you get all of the, all of the, all of the space marines have got the name of a, a sort of prominent, famous sort of uh, philosopher of one stripe or another. And 
you know, by doing that, obviously, Peter is definitely trying to make you alert to that. That's that's kind of their mentality on things. They're they're very philosophical, very artistic uh, chapter of Space Marines who are, are pulling on sort of this lost knowledge of humanity to build a better future in their mind. But as with all things in 40k, this ultimately leads to utter corruption. Utter corruption. And this is what happens to the Angels Resplendent. And this is the first book. I'm imagining it will be some kind of series. It's the initial moments of their their destruction, their fall from grace, as it were. Their uh, everything that's that, that they've done coming back to haunt them, basically. And it's all built upon this lie that they are pure, that they are free of corruption, that they are enlightened, whatever that means. But they're not. They're not. And it's built on this terrible secret that's at the heart of their their chapter their their beliefs and that begins to spread throughout the population of the planet that they control and they're you know they're an interesting chapter it's a really interesting read it's an interesting view of how different chapters function you know even though they're from the blood angel stock they've got a natural inclination to sort of artistic beauty and stuff like that but there's there's still a part of them which is I don't know. I don't know how best to explain it. This isn't the best review, is it? <laughs> you see what? Well, you see, I would have had to write this down and think hard about how to convey this. Basically, I'm saying it's a really interesting novel. It's got a lot of nice little bits of action. There's a whole thing with a tech marine getting corrupted by an AI system, which is utter corruption. But that's due to him being open to knowledge which he shouldn't have been. If they were a lot more stringent, if they were a lot more, if they were a lot more stringent in terms of how they govern themselves, a lot more disciplined and stayed away from these things and stuck and stuck to war, which is the problem they've got. Like, a large chunk of the chapter, they're space marines, but they aren't even doing war, you know? And some of the space marines, the one character we follow specifically, because um, there's a whole thing with a possessed space marine, <laughs> it's a really complicated story to really convey. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, a, you know, I think it's, this is quite a special book as it's as its big brain, basically. I mean, it's not really. It's still fun. There's a lot of, like, you know, action in there. A lot of awesome moments. A lot of characters just being, you know, pure grim, dark, awesomeness, like, harsh as fuck. But there's uh, there's, a, there's a bit of intellect gone into the writing of this. And there's a lot of big brain thoughts. And if you're into sort of... I am into, like, history, philosophy, you know, uh, theology as well, um, classical history as well. And, you know, all these things, by, by naming these things, I can tell he's drawing off certain elements of them that he's used to inspire this, this, the writing of this story. So if you're into those kind of things or if you've got a vague interest, you might like it. If you're not really into that, this might be a bit of a hard slog for you to read because there's allusions to certain things that he's writing, you know, references to things that you might not... I mean, you, you probably enjoy the book fine, but it is not like... It's not Devastation of Baal. You know, this isn't a, a war novel per se. This is about the spiritual decline of a chapter who fought themselves free of corruption. But they are utterly corrupt and they are going to become more corrupt until the, they become the angels penitent later, as we know they will. And it's just an interesting take on them. It's interesting filling out that law, filling out that background of why they became what they, they are going to become. And, you know, I'm hoping in the other books we understand what has actually happened to them. What is the crown of thorns? You know, what is this? Uh, this thing that's going to just change the chapter. So, 
yeah, that, I recommend this book. It's a good start to what I think is going to be a new series. And Peter Ferrari has this whole sort of Ferrari verse. I forget someone, someone, it's got a special name, but it's his own little area of 40k lore where he's doing all these different things. Every book I've read of his has been fun, has been entertaining, has been uh, thought provoking, actually. I think he's got a good understanding of human character and he's got a good grasp on. You know, these things that I enjoy, you know, history, philosophy and stuff like that. So, you know, he's, he's able to have fun with a lot of these ideas and just make little, you know, in-jokes, references to things. And, yeah, it's fun. It's worth getting. I recommend it. And that's all I'm saying about it. <laughs> that, that's as in-depth as you get in. Five minutes of me ranting, going, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Let's get on to the next book. So the next novel is The Regent's Shadow. The highly anticipated sequel to the, uh, the first novel in the Watchers of the Throne series. And, yeah, this was amazing. This was truly amazing. I think it's one of Chris Raid's best books, I have to say. And as a series, this is really shaping up, along with the uh, Vaults of Terror series, which is going on at the same time, along with um, along with the Lords of Silence. I'm really loving Chris Raid's work. He's really become one of my, you know, pretty much one of my favourite authors at GW, just in terms of his writing ability, the, uh, the the quality he's bringing to a lot of the work, and it's just amazing, it's amazing. So, this novel carries on from the end of the last one, which didn't really, I mean, I don't know whether that many people read the first novel, you know, you've got this amazing thing where Abaddon the Despoiler was trying to cut off terror using Blackstone monoliths or whatever, to basically create a dead zone in the warp around terror, so no one would be able to leave the Terran soul system, you know, basically all the systems around... He was lodging these these blackstone monoliths in the in the planet crust to create a, a null zone, you know, much like the Tyranids do. And it hasn't been mentioned anywhere. I'm really like, I, I'm hoping. I know they're going back now and doing this Indomitus Crusade stuff, and I'm hoping it fills in the gaps there of like, you know, where the hell is Abaddon the Despoiler? Where, where's he gone? What's going on? We'll see. We'll see if it does. I know Godblight's just been released. I'll get that, and I'll probably do a whole review on that and uh, probably talk about some of the retcons and stuff that have been done. But that's a whole other thing. Let's carry on with this. So we follow uh, Chancellor Jack, and i got the audiobook for this, and i got to say, this is just my personal thing, if there's any ladies listening out there, if you have an accent like Councillor Jack, like the woman who does the narration on this, I'm hot for you. I love that voice. I, you know, <laughs> I love that voice. It, it does it for me. You know, any woman with that voice, I, yeah, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. We need to meet. We need to say hello to each other. Anyway, then you've got Valerian and uh, the custodian and uh, Aloya, who is the Sisters of Silence. Now, how's best to cover this briefly? Okay, so basically, Jack's story is she's been put in place by Gilliman uh, to act as the Chancellor of the High Lords of Terror, of the Senatorum Imperialis. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's basically doing that. Now, obviously, Terra is in the wake of all of this nonsense that's been happening. You'll know more if you've read the Thrones of uh, the Vaults of Terror series with the Inquisitor and so on. These, the Terra is just in, in ruin, you know. It's suffered a demonic invasion that's attacked the Imperial Palace itself. The populate and the way he conveys the utter destruction of Terra, the, the civil conflict that's going on on Terra... The, the mobs, the breakdown of order, the attempts by the authorities to impose order again, the battles that are going on, the corruption that is spreading throughout Terran society is amazing. So she takes it upon herself to try and coordinate the efforts of the, the Council of Terror. You know, the, the, the rulers of the, all of the 
wings of the imperial government. And she isn't having a great job, but she manages to, you know, politicking around. We get a good view of her about, like, what it's like to be a noble, a Terran noble. She goes into, you know, the, I don't know, the, the, the slips into debauchery that many of her peers went into as she was growing up, how she could have done that. But, and she may in the future, but uh, she decided to chase glory, basically, and that's a respectable thing to do. And she's a great character. I did really enjoy it. Uh, she's interacting with these very powerful individuals, with space marines and so on, and just the, the sort of the politicking that's going on in the background. And it really... Yeah, I love Chris Raid's books because he's the one who does this kind of thing the best, I think. You know, Guy Haley does it well as well, and it's really just presenting the, the political side of things. And you don't get enough of that in 40k stuff. The, you know, the, this is a battle novel. There are conflicts. There are amazing scenes of war in this. You know, but Bolter action is going on. Don't worry. But you get this amazing character going through the halls of power, and you, you're interacting with all these different people. So, what happens with her is basically she she uncovers, or perhaps, and it seems that it was Gilliman's plan all along to basically draw out all of these elements that are opposed to him who eventually attempt to coup. And this is where the other two characters come into it as well. I'll discuss them briefly in a moment. So basically her actions are... It's like she's kind of trying to pull things together, but there's a whole other thing going on with a military coup, basically. You know, the the head of the Munitorum uh, betrays and, and some other high lords are against Gilliman. Now, this is a complex subject, but basically, there's a whole chunk of the imperial elites who are against Gilliman because he is a Primarch, fundamentally. You've got to remember, it's 10,000 years since the fall of, since the Horus Heresy. It has become mythologized. And one of the lessons that people learned from this was the Primarchs were batshit crazy and it was all their fault. <laughs> Basically. Which is a very simplified way of doing things. But after 10,000 years when everything is... You know, even these guys have got this hidden knowledge that is kept away from the general populace. What they've had passed down to them is that it was the Primarchs' fault. And there's, there's good cause to agree with that, you know? Rather than the weakness of man itself, which is fundamentally what it is, that's the story there, you know, a man will inevitably decline and uh, will inevitably reach power that it shouldn't have. And that's what happened with the Chaos Guys in its search for meaning. Blah, 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 blah. There's all this stuff. But that's that's basically what's happened. There's a, there's a, a big chunk of the Imperial nobility, the rulers of the Imperium, the heads of the various factions of the, that make up the Imperial government are against Gilliman. And they, manage, they decide to take a, a strike at taking terror because obviously you take the throne world, that puts you in a massive... A massively powerful position. It's insane because it shows how little they understand Primarchs that Gilliman wouldn't just come back and kill them all. But they try it anyway. But it seems to have been instigated, and um, Gilliman seems to have put Jack in charge, knowing what she'd do, and knowing how that would facilitate this coup to an extent. I think there's an element of that there that he, he foresaw this and he's doing it on purpose. As has happened before, of course, in the Valdor novel, that's basically what. I mean, there's problems with the Valdor novel in terms of how it fits in with the law, and there's some inconsistencies and stuff. I won't go into that now, but basically, that's the story of the Valdor novel. It's the the Emperor and Valdor 
encouraging a coup because they knew that now they've got these corrupt elements and they want to purge them, but they can't just go in there and purge them. They've got to have good cause to purge them. And that's what happens here. So by doing this, Gilliman has basically freed himself of a problem in his uh, rear supply lines. He has purged. And, and this is something that Guy Haley goes into in the Dark Imperium novels. We get mentions that he's just removed planetary governors and stuff like that. So where he can just use his power fully, without any constraint, he does. But when it's things like this, where he has to be a bit more subtle, a bit more... big brain again, with his politicking, he has encouraged these people, which has happened before in history, it's happened many times, you know. You, you give them enough rope to hang themselves, basically. You let them come out and then you do them once you've got a good cause, a good excuse to remove them one way or the other. And that's what happens here. And Jack's story is basically that. Her uncovering this coup until it finally happens. Uh, the Minotaur's chapter show up. An amazing portrayal of the Minotaur's chapter. And it goes again to show that the Minotaur's chapter are a servant, uh, a space marine chapter specifically devoted, uh, specifically aligned with the High Lords of Terra. Now, I'd like to know more about that. It's hinted at different things, but it seems to be that they are a specific chapter at the beck and core of the High Lords of Terror, which would explain a lot of their actions, like in the Bad War and other things they've done. So it's interesting. It's interesting. full of interesting stuff. Now, that's just Jack. And again, the woman who does the narration there, I'm hot for you. Uh, I want to meet you. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I just want you to say dirty things to me. I think it'd be an amazing experience. So, yeah, there's that. Anyway, let's get on to Valerian. So Valerian is the custodian who was in, involved in foiling this plot from um, Abaddon the Despoiler with the Sisters of Silence, which we'll get into in a moment. His story is basically he's been singled out by Gilliman as uh, a hero of the Imperium. And we get this, this amazing scene at the start of the Indomitus Crusade where he's presented with this laurels of victory. Of course, if you're into history, you understand the importance of that. And yeah, it's, it's showing that He's frustrated. The custodians, and many other custodians are probably as well, with their role. They are sentinels. They are sentries when they are the greatest warriors ever produced by humanity. And he wants to do things. He wants to fight. And uh, that's what he does here, really. He's been placed into the front line of putting down this rebellion, working with Imperial forces and so on. As kind of a little bit of punishment, maybe. But it appears to me that the head of the custodians is kind of... He's completely in line with Gilliman, you know. He's assisting him fully, uh, but there's 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 political there's political wrangling to go on. You know, you got to understand it from the custodian's point of view. If there's a coup on terror with this massive military force, yeah, they're the most powerful forces in the world, in the universe, most powerful human force, single human organization in the world, just in terms of martial power. But there's only so many of them. They have a duty and responsibility to protect the emperor and the throne and the imperial palace. That's their main responsibility. And it, that rubs up with, you know, they're wasting themselves. They're not doing things when they could do things. Even though they do do things, <laughs> they do go on little missions and stuff. It's interesting. It, it's to see his frustration and what he ends up doing out of frustration. It's fascinating. We also get some nice things about, because he's heavily wounded, of course, at the end of the last novel. So there were some really interesting moments where he's talking about his healing process and how he views himself. And the way he describes it is like, you know, how he views his own body. And he, dis he views it in a disembodied way, as if he's just viewing a tool. You know, his consciousness is just viewing his body as a, as, a, as a machine, as a tool. And he describes how he was made, how basically he had his entire body scooped out and replaced and put back in. It's fascinating, because we don't know that much about the custodians. 
you know, we know that they're created by a different process than the Astartes. Sorry, I just burnt there. We know that they are more than Astartes, and we know that there's uh, there's some esoteric, otherworldly processes involved, as aside from the Astartes, who are who did uh, I watched an interview with Dan Abnett recently? We said that they're more of a production line. They're, they're created via a production line, basically a lot more quick and uh, cheap method of creating transhuman super soldiers. Whereas the Cassarians are not. They're, they're, they're something closer to what the Primarchs are, and they have a part of the Emperor in them. We, we, we know from other things. And when the Emperor was around, they were viewed very much like his. Um, what do they call it in Greece? Like, uh, like, like the like Alexander had his companion cavalry. They were his personal bodyguard, you know. But more than that, they were his his friends. His, you know, much like uh, King Arthur had the same thing with, you know, the knights. And this is there's been allusions to this in the Heresy when we go back to sort of pre-imperial times, ancient human history, where you know the emperor's going around as this knight in golden armor and stuff like this, and he's got this band of the greatest warriors, the war band of his closest people, his, his friends and advisors, his companions. And I like that as an idea. You know, the, the king with his band of loyal retainers, you know, brothers, and uh, even though they're loyal to this guy, that it's more than that. It's a, it's a bond of brotherhood. So they're a brotherhood within this imperium. Some people that he the emperor can fully trust because, you know, perhaps they are literally like his blood I don't know I don't know there's, there's various different things there there's things with Valdor it's a wider discussion that I'm just not going to have right now but there's interesting things there and uh, this definitely touches on elements of that and it's nice to see the authors working together and genuinely trying to hash this out and get a solid grip on what's actually going on even though they're only going to tell us certain things they know what's going on and because they know they're able to tease us and hint at these things you know <laughs> because that's what they've got to do you know they've got this they've got it all mapped out to a certain extent and they know what's going on and they're able to tell us these stories in this way interesting so yeah his story is joining up with uh the imperial fists who have returned phalanx has returned from Cadia, and there's a whole thing with the cadians what's going to happen with them but Phalanx has returned to be repaired with a contingent of Imperial Fists, because, of course, the Imperial Fists maintain a, a stronghold on Terra, the only Space Marine chapter to be allowed to, because of the events of the Heresy. It's something that got worked out back in the day, after the Heresy. And then they're meeting the Minotaurs, and, and it's nice to see the striking difference in these people. And it's nice to see Valerian, like, he wants... Like, he has an interaction with this one... Um, I think, it is it... Is it Marduk? I don't know if it's Marduk or just like another commander. But the aggression... He's like, I want I want this guy to go for me. I want this aggressive space marine to go for me. I want to test myself against him. And I like his attitude. It's a, it's a very positive, action-orientated uh, attitude. It's good shit. It's good shit. So, we have that all going on. And, and in the end, obviously, he gets involved with the coup. And uh, to, to put it down, to stop it. And there's various other things. It's him tracking down these bands of corrupted chaos worshipping people who have arisen in the uh, fires of the events, you know, in the aftermath of the events on terror with the demonic invasion, the breakdown in society and so on. And he's fighting all these people. And it's just quality. Custodians are just awesome because they're just, they're just amazing fighters. And it's great to see their attitude to things. But Valerian's our main, intri- you know, our main view on the custodians in this. And he does provide so much insight into um, them as a people. And in, again, terror 
the aftermath of everything that's gone on with uh, Gilliman as well and how he views his own role and his own place in the galaxy. It's good shit. So, then we get to Alea. Now, Alea is the Sisters of Silence. Now, there are some problems I have with the Sisters of Silence, the whole mute thing and not, you know, hand signs and all that sort of stuff. Like, it would be very odd to see on screen, all right? I don't know how it would work because how would they interact with all these people? I don't fully understand it. But what we do get is some interesting, interesting information about what's happening with the Sisters of Silence. Now, just practical, practical, like I'm an ultramarine, just practical. The, the, the obvious problem with the Sisters of Silence in the lore is they actually, dis- they, they only came into being in the Horus Heresy, you know? They didn't exist in 40K at all. And uh, it's only with the Horus Heresy stuff that this, this organization was created, the Sisters of Silence, who are a group of pariahs, for those of you who don't know, and pariahs are people who are soulless, they are psychic blanks, People don't like them because they have no souls. They get an instant disgust reaction. I'll go into that more when we get to another book that I'm going to discuss shortly. But this group was disbanded after the heresy, which seems weird. And it's never been fully explained. But we're starting to get the explanation now. Now what happens is she goes back to Luna, the moon, of course, uh, where the citadel of the Sisters of Silence was based. And it's still there, but it's deserted. The interesting thing is there's a group of people, and we get some really interesting takes on the population of the moon and Luna and how they were once great, and but now it's a dilapidated sort of... This population has been just... I don't know. I don't know. They're all drunks. You know, it's like walking through the worst area <laughs> of your city. You know, you see this group of people who've been just brought to the bottom. Um, very, you know, I'm, I'm expecting a banjo to play in the audio during some of this, you know, just like the the, the worst. Anyway, from, from something that was great, from a group of people who were once great, I suppose you would say. Now, in this, in this citadel, there is a population of people who are descended from the original keepers of the citadel, the original servants of the Sisters of Silence. And they remember the Sisters of Silence. And now they, they worship them as the return of a mythological force, you know. They've maintained, like, really disorganised and misunderstood, passed-down knowledge of what their history is and stuff. They're like, they're like a religious sect, basically. And now the sisters have returned and they've pledged themselves to them. But they're in this citadel, which is vast. And, it, and it's hinted that this citadel, what we learn is... We get this whole thing with this this witch, this drunken witch, who tells the sister the story of the basically the, the foundation myth of these people. And um, she goes exploring as well. It's been deserted for like nearly 10,000 years or thereabouts. That This citadel was perhaps the place where the, origi- the Primarchs were created. You know, It was the, the laboratory where that, that was the place where the, the Emperor did his work. We always knew it was kind of on Luna. It was always hinted at this, uh, where he created these gods, these, these godlike beings, the Primarchs. And then obviously we learn in Valdor the events first-hand from him about what happens with them being sucked up into the warp and stuff. And we've had it hinted, we've had scenes like that, Horus seeing that moment as well, that sort of thing. But now she goes back there and yeah, they there's, there's a lot of mystery about this place basically and she goes around, there's, there's runes everywhere and this drunken witch she tells her this song, she sings this song it's like, you know, poetry, mythical poetry uh, from a from a from a drunken moon person and she tells uh, this story and and it's hinted at that there were people there before uh, gene rights which might be linked to Erda 
and all that stuff. Uh, the the queens of the queens who originally lived there, a sort of tribe of or a tribe or a people or a nation of uh, people who did advanced genetic research and manipulation and so on during the dark age of technology. And the emperor came there and got rid of them, but probably stole their knowledge or conquered them. We're not we're not a hundred percent on everything, but there's hints there, and it's because they know they, the authors know, and they're just teasing us. But it's a great scene. It really makes you think about poss the possibilities of what's occurred here. And, yeah, um, elements of perhaps the Inquisition over parts of the Imperial government start attacking the, the Sisters of Silence as they're trying to rebuild themselves as an organisation. You know, They're bringing in pariahs from all over the place. I never understood the thing of, well, aren't, aren't they based on black ships too? That Some of them seem to be still based on black ships. They're just not in an order, an organisation like the custodians are still it's like weird i need to hear a complete good explanation for this and i know what the problem is it's that they just didn't exist before so they're trying to make <laughs> they're trying to justify why that didn't happen but there's an interesting it's an interesting way they're doing that they're turning it into a sort of mystery of what happened and i like that and uh yeah basically she goes on an investigation to find out who did this attack they they suffer a uh an attack basically that destroys the it would have destroyed the whole place, basically, and wiped them out, but they managed to foil it uh, just at the last minute. And it causes damage, but it doesn't wipe them out. So she goes on a big investigation about who's trying to do this. Who is responsible for the original destruction of the, uh, the Sisters of Silence order? And it's an interesting, it's an interesting story, and it's really good. Um, you know, she goes on this quest, basically, and it ends up with her going again and it seems to lie with this group of people who are against the Primarchs the, the people who are doing this coup for slightly different reasons they're involved with the Sisters of Silence they're against them we don't fully understand that maybe just because they find them repulsive on it due to for religious reasons uh, that's kind of what it kind of says you know they're against them because of their they have no souls they are demons in their eyes which is again when you go to it's interesting when you, if you've read the Apocalypse novel by Josh Reynolds about the fem, and that that novel is great for various reasons. But one of the main things in there, and spoilers, one of the main things in there is uh, it basically discusses the foundation of the Imperial Church and the sort of dark heart, the the origins of the Ecclesiarchy, which I won't go into. But uh, if you've read that novel, there's interesting things that are really playing off each other. And I, I, yeah, I was, I was, I love this novel. I love this novel. I can't wait for the next one. I think it's going to be amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. Go and get the first one if you haven't read this. Read the Vaults of Terror series as well. And because uh, they're, they're linked, you know, it's the same author and it's the same sort of time. It's happening at the same time, just with different characters. So, yeah, uh, yeah, amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. And really just captures the, the horror of what's occurred and the breakdown in Terran society at the heart of the Imperium. And the attempts by Gilliman to start to rebuild everything. This, this start of the Indomitus Crusade. It's good shit. So yeah, highly recommend. Let's get to the next one. Sorry if I'm ranting too much. This is it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying the stuff that comes to mind that I really like from these novels. Sorry. Next book. So now we have Penitent by Dan Abnett. Uh, the belated return to the sort of Eisenhorn area of the law. That, that story section. I suppose Magus wasn't that long ago though. I guess. But... We're going back to a series that he started with the Beckwin novel uh, nearly 10 years ago, and we're getting straight into the action here. Again, this is a really complex novel, so I was trying to sum this up briefly and just talk about the main sort of big thing that's revealed at the end. 
So for those of you who don't know, Beckwin was one of the original companions of Eisenhorn from the very first novel. She was a working girl, should we say, but she was also a pariah, which is always, it's always entertaining me. I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again in case you've never heard it. Beckwin is so hot, she must be so fine, yeah? Just like the ultimate specimen of womanhood. That even though people are repulsed on a spiritual level by her, they're still willing to pay. <laughs> Which is always entertainment. Because she didn't get the psychic blocker until later. But that might have just been an oversight by um, old Dan. Because uh, this was early. This was fairly early 40k lore. And I think this is probably like his, his third novel. Something like that, maybe. Maybe four or fifth. He wrote a few fantasy novels as well. But anyway, this is going straight in from where the last book ended. No break, you know, no change or anything. So we're following Beckwin here. Uh, Beckwin is actually a clone of the original Beckwin who died. And I'm not going to get into all that. But it's full of nice little scenes. There's a whole scene at the start where they go to a seance thing. And uh, Eisenhorn's just like, this is bollocks. And all of a sudden it isn't bollocks. Because someone's using this pretend psychic as a way of uh, communicating with him. Because there's a whole thing with this organisation that he's been uh, opposed to. Called the Cognite. And this has been a whole thing that's been going through the Ravenel novels, uh, the Eisenhorn novels towards the end as well, and uh, Magus recently, and a bunch of short stories as well. The sort of unravelling of this organisation which is across the Imperium, and we learn a lot more about it. And basically, it looks like they were all they were working. At first, we thought that the the Yellow King was their their, their boss, but it appears that they're a separate organisation that's been around since the birth of the Imperium, uh, perhaps a sort of precursor to the Inquisition in some way. There's a whole area of discussion that could be had about that. But they're uh, an organisation which has been tracking down hidden knowledge, basically, and they're, they're, they permeate Imperial society, they have people everywhere. But they started working with this guy called the Yellow King. And it turns out, I mean, to cut a long story short, this is where this story is. There's a whole, actually, there's a whole element where they're, they're trying to find out what's going on, and she has this weird encounter with a bunch of like cannibal cultist people who live in crypts under the city. And the city's a weird place as well. There's a lot of stuff going on there. It's kind of like Lisbon, you know. It's just like uh, Spook Central. <laughs> There's loads of shit going on in this city. <laughs> if you want a, if you want a real life link you know it's it's just one of them cities where there's like spies from every different organization going on there there's all kinds of stuff going on and uh, underneath this city there's this cannibal crypt people and people are using it as a, a betting ring to see if people can survive down there running man style i think but when she gets there now she encounters this this blood angel with wings you know who appears to have gone completely insane and uh he got there via some kind of portal, I think. I mean, I'm not going to go into all that, but basically she's got a little friend who's a blood angel. And we run into some other space marines as well. There's a band of space marines who appear to be under the psychic control of a thousand sun space marine, but they don't seem corrupt. But it appears that a bunch of librarians have been basically being mind controlled and forced to work with this thousand suns guy. And uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Because they're, they're, uh, they seem like pre-heresy marines, if you get me. I mean, it makes me think that maybe this is um, one of these sort of, what they call Black Shields, one of these groups that were in the heresy that formed from like different, you know, scattered space marine forces gathering together, a loyalist force that's maybe been on on uh, fighting the heresy since then, by one means or another. But there's a lot of psychic stuff, Ravenor meets some Eldar guys, the Eldar are preparing to move on this planet and annihilate it, because the Yellow King is almost at the completion of his little plan. 
and his plan seems to be tied up. And I think I'll tell you what I think it is. The Yellow King turns out that it's it's like 99% that it's Valdor, right? I mean, now Valdor just left and disappeared. There's a short story uh, that talks about that. Uh, two metaphysical blades, and yeah, Valdor has created this world, this 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 pocket empire in the in the fabric of reality using webway portals it seems and he's sending out legions of space marines he's, he's got armies he's got golden ships he's got this enormous force and he's also been cloning pariahs now if you're aware of old lore there's a whole there's a whole thing about the sensei cult which was a, a means of basically the emperor needs to die to be reincarnated much like he was created from the collect well in the old lore again whether this is true or not the old law had it there. Basically, all the shamans, all the holy men, all the spiritual types, all the early sort of early psychers, I guess you'd say, of humanity, they gathered together in a big conclave because they were finding it harder to reincarnate. Again, this is where a little bit of like a little bit of esoteric sort of religious history is probably useful. You know, um, probably I don't know. You can get what you you get what you you need from this, but I find it interesting because I am interested in that stuff. So it's fun that they're they're drawing on this kind of this 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 stuff. Anyway. The, the priests, these holy men, witch doctors, all that stuff, druids, whatever you want to say, all these people, they were finding it harder to reincarnate, which is what they used to do, because the warp was becoming more messed up. So they decided to all commit uh, mass ritual suicide, and they would all combine their consciousness and souls and so on into a single spirit, which became the emperor who was born in Anatolia, uh, like 10,000 years ago. That's the story of the emperor, fundamentally used to be anyway it's slightly different now and we're not too sure they've left it kind of vague about what's actually going on but there's other pariahs who didn't do that uh, not pariahs uh, perpetuals who are able to reincarnate and all that sort of stuff you know people who can live forever all that sort of thing but then that's uh, I'm not going to get into that I'm not going to get into all that I'm getting distracted so Valdor I think is trying to do the whole sensei thing and I think he's going to use the um, use the He's using the pariah, he's using the pariahs to create uh, half demonic entities, basically like a more evolved form of a possessed of a of a demon host, and sort of by but getting pure warp energy, and they're called Grails, and of course Grail is a cup, a vessel, you see, for this energy, and because they've got no souls, maybe it's able to they're able to take in and control it more. There's like we need a full explanation of all this, but we've been we've had hints and stuff, and it goes into more what's going on in this novel. But the plan, I think, is for the em for him to do something with the emperor to reincarnate the emperor. I think just based on previous stuff we've seen with the law of the sensei thing and so on, I can't think of anything else that sort of exists within the law that would provide some kind of explanation for that. Anyway, Beckwin, the clone Beckwin we've got there, is one of many clones, and I don't know why they took Beckwin because she hasn't been around that long, so. Unless it turns out that the original Beckwin that we knew from the Eisenhorn novels was in fact a clone as well, that somehow escaped or was never taken up, something like that. Because this one, she was in like a, a cognate school where she thought she was serving the Imperium, but it was actually like a cognate, it was cognate sort of front um, of this secret organization that was training these pariahs and making them think they were servants of the Imperium and really they served the cognate. Blah, 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 blah. That's the whole thing. So the, the main sort of big reveal of this is finding out that the Yellow King is most likely Valdor and he's got this enormous force ready to go and he's been doing stuff 
and he hasn't disappeared and there's a whole secret part of the Imperium perhaps he's, he's linked with the Imperium he's been working with this secret organisation which is not aligned with the Imperium they, they are enemies of the Imperium they seek hidden knowledge they're trying to create, get these power words this, uh, this ancient language uh, which is able to tap into the warp you know, you can speak a word and, like, rip reality to shreds. That sort of thing. It's like magic. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting take on on all of that. And I, I'm glad this novel's come out. I'm looking forward to the third one. I think it's going to be a fantastic reveal at the end. Many people have said many things about this novel. I'm not going to get deep into it because I could talk for hours about this. And I don't want to. I'm going to keep this brief because the last one I talked too long. But, yeah, it's an excellent return to this series. Uh, an ec- excellent portrayal of um, Beckwin and pulling together all the different strands that he's managed to lay out in previous novels, in previous novel series. Basically, all of the characters are back in this, you know, Nail, all of that Ravenel, all of his little gang. And, yeah, it's 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 going to be a massive climactic ending. I mean, clearly, it's insane. With all of these space marines, you know, Eisenhorn's got this chaos dude with him, <laughs> the chaos space marine dude with him. This band of space marines have appeared, these librarians, and they're just fighting these pariahs. That was an amazing scene. It's, uh, it's, it evokes memories of like some of the best science fiction movies I've seen. And uh, that's the best stuff, you know. You're able to picture it. And I'm, because I know Dan Abnett's like, he clearly is like a really well read person. He's into science fiction in general and stuff anyway. So he's definitely pulling on things to evoke sort of imagery of certain things like Blade Runner and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. It was a joy to read. I uh, got through it like so fast, and uh, in one sitting, I think. And it was just—it was a pleasure. So yeah, I cannot recommend this enough. Of course, if you want to read this and fully understand what's going on, you got to read Eisenhorn Book One, which is, and then like what, ten more novels and about what, ten, twenty, ten, twenty hours worth of short stories and stuff like that. You got to read it all to really grasp what's happening and the nuances of all the different characters. So yeah, fantastic return. Can't wait for the next one. Big massive revelation about the identity of the Yellow King, of course. And uh, we need to know what's what's going to happen with that because this is major. And it, again, it, I like the phase that we're in now with 40k law where everything is sort of starting to get linked together. Things are joined up. And I do. I know people make the argument that there probably shouldn't be 40k law should be a bit more fluid. But when it's events like this, I want things joined up. I do. I want it to be like a massive coherent galaxy spanning tale drama I want that you know I think that's that's some of the best stuff 40k does and you've still got room for instance that previous book I mentioned um, The Reverie it's completely separate to all this you know that's a whole other area of the law that he's doing you know Dan Abnett with the Sabbath World's Crusade there's little links and stuff like this but it's it's detached from this story arc and I like that and all the other authors doing all the different things but we've got this core of stuff that's to do with the Emperor with Terra with the sort of real fate of humanity with just climactic events you know we've got Baldor in there what who he is what his real objectives are these big big things that are going on that it's it's going to be fascinating to finally get um, I mean when we get to the end of the Siege of Terror series as well we should get some hints about some other things that we've never really had played out properly you know explained to us properly so we'll see what happens with all that uh, yeah, it's just too good. It's too good. I love what's happening now with this writing team. They're really producing some amazing, amazing books, and um, it's really the thing that's keeping me involved with 40k. Uh, the, if it wasn't for these novels, I probably would have lost the interest years ago. But this really keeps drawing me back in. Anyway, let's get to the next one.
So now we have Spears of the Emperor by Aaron Dembski Bowden. And a return to 40k. Uh, Bowden's been, uh, Aaron Dembski Bowden's been away from 40k stuff. He hasn't been writing books for a while, except for sort of heresy stuff. I think he wrote one recently. Uh, with the, in the Siege of Terror, but he hasn't done much 40k stuff recently. So this is a fantastic return. So it covers the Spears of the Emperor chapter primarily. And it's all a bit weird. <laughs> I'm going to try and explain this a bit very simply. Because there's a lot of stuff to go into. And it's linked to other novels he's written. <laughs> and I don't know how to cover this. Give me a moment. So this space marine called Amadeus is sent from the the Imperial side of the Noctus Turner. Is it the Noctus Turner? I don't know, the Great Rift, you know? Uh, to try and make contact with Alara's Veil, which is the a big nebula of planets. And the Wardens of the Veil, it's a big stretch of territory, the, the Wardens of the Veil are the Empress Spears, there was three chapters, the Empress Spears, Scorpions, I think, and, um, and the Celestial Lions. And they succeed in this. And there's been multiple attempts, which... You know, obviously, you'll understand why that's super suspicious afterwards. To make contact with this particular area, above all others. Let me just outline the book first and some of the things I liked. Now, I'm not going to go into the the origins, the history, the, the how the Empress Spears work. They're a great little Space Marine chapter, new Space Marine chapter, really, in the lore. And uh, Aaron Dembski Baden has made them unique and given them a good flavour. Uh, made them similar but different enough to be interesting. And I do like them. They are they are a good force. I like the attitude that they've got. I like the sense of humour that he's brought to these loyalist space marines. But I won't go into the law. I did a separate law video about them a while back. So probably best to watch that if you want to understand them fully. I won't get into that now. But basically, they're the, the main force left defending Alara's Vale against their former allies, the Star Scorpions, who are now called the Pure because they've turned to chaos. And it's interesting, to we, we meet them later on, they explain why they turned to chaos. It's a pretty good reason. <laughs> they were screwed, basically. But uh, we meet uh, an excellent character called uh, Prince Nadzabar, who's a commander there. And he's a, he's a beautifully evil character. I like it. I like that sort of thing. It's just beautiful. Beautiful. Now, this Space Marine character, Amadeus, he has with him three, count that, three servants. And they're all being biologically enhanced and so on, which again might have been part of a, the cover for what's going to happen. But uh, the other chapter out of these three is the Celestial Lions, which we learned got nearly wiped out. Uh, there's a short story about it. They nearly got wiped out completely by the Inquisition because they opposed the Inquisition back in the day. They were wiped out on Armageddon, you know, a handful of survivors. The the Black Templars uh, gave them a contingent of their troops and, you know, support and vessels and stuff uh, to rebuild themselves rather than watch them just be annihilated. And they were under the command of Chapter Master Akene, who used to be a sergeant, who was the last surviving sort of officer of any rank left with the survivors of the Celestial Alliance Force. And that involved Grimaldus, obviously, and all of that. Now, we rejoined them basically a um, better part of a hundred years ago, a few decades later, and the Imperial, uh, the, the Imperial Fists, the Black Templars contingent is still with them, which is pretty cool, man. I, I thought this was cool. I wasn't expecting them to meet these guys. And yeah, Akene is still there. He's become basically the commander. The, the Empress Spears follow him as the commander of the Imperial war effort. And unfortunately, the reason this space marine was sent there with his 
free little assistance on this battleship and one of multiple attempts too is the inquisition because the inquisition the inquisition are a bunch of bastards and even now even now they want a little bit of vengeance so everybody understands their power and it's just like why do this this is just actively shooting yourself in the foot but yeah i guess the inquisition is going to inquisition one of these free servants turns out to be a Calidus assassin and she cuts Kenny's head off in the middle of this meeting uh, just as they're having a war council uh, because the chaos side, the pure, have received a massive influx of reinforcements from someone, who knows? Uh, some chaos force has arrived and now obviously that, that changes everything. The balance of power is, is disrupted, you know? The imperial side is now fully outnumbered even though they are able to produce Primaris which is one of the main reasons they've been able to hold on in this veil because they've been able to produce these superior space marines the knowledge was sent to them of how to build primaris marines and um yeah it's it's like it's such a, a fuck you from the inquisition it's just like you didn't need to do that lads you didn't need to do that lads it's just actively sabotaging the imperium just on principle <laughs> on principle he's gotta die <laughs> So how many times they tried to cross the veil? Anyway, this Amadeus realises that his Imperium, his, his chapter, basically just uh, is loyal to the Inquisition and gave him up as a just part of the cost of doing the Inquisition's will for one reason or another. There's all of a thing with them being related to the uh, Star Scorpions chapter. Uh, th- there's lots of stuff to discuss about this novel. But some of the nice things I thought, it's, fo- it's all from the perspective of one of his serfs, this woman. And she's a great character. She has this amazing moment when she's talking about the horrors that she's done. And she recounts the one time that she she smashed a woman's head in with a shotgun because she was trying to take his child away, presumably to be inducted into the Legion. And it's like, wow, that's that's super harsh. Uh, because the war in that area is just is so brutal in this area, in this Alaris Vale. For the Imperium to just hold on outnumbered anyway, it, it, it's, it requires these harsh actions. There's the one moment where they invade a world that, that's just turned traitor, that's that's joined with the pure, and you have the Imperial Governor coming out with his power sword uh, in armor, saying, "Okay, you've won, but you're gonna, you know, I want an I want an honorable death. What choice did we have? You know, the Astronomicon's gone out, we're cut off from Terra. What choice did we have?" You couldn't offer us the support we needed. We're, we're, we're at the mercy of the universe here. What choice did I have? Fight me then. You know, you're going to take my world from me? Fight me. And I think it's hinted that this guy's like descended from the original sort of imperial commander that was placed there during the Great Crusade, I think. But either way, he's from like a noble line and he's done what he thought was best for his people and his planet. But the, um, yeah, the Emperor Spears dudes are just like, no, no, you don't deserve to die with honour. It's, it's a great scene. It's a great moment. And also, she's she's also taken uh, prisoner um, by the Chaos Dudes. This is where we meet Nadzabar, first of all, before he's later taken prisoner and his ship is destroyed. A notorious Corsair vessel. He's a notorious pirate who they can never catch. Um, but she's... And I love this. Dan, Aaron dembski Band does it the best, I think. Seeing things from the Chaos point of view. Seeing things from how the Chaos side, the heretic side, live. And is it any worse than the Imperium? I mean, yeah, it probably is in ways, but I don't know. It's interesting. It's very interesting um, how he portrays this. And she's like on this ship. She's being used as a slave, but they know who she is and stuff. And the sort of casual brutality that is meted out. But the Imperium has that as well, but it's it's less, I guess. It's more understandable. 
Um, I guess we feel more sympathy towards the Imperium than Chaos, just on prin- you know on principle. But uh, it was an interesting take, an interesting vision into that life and that way of existing. So yeah, uh, a great novel. You know, it ends obviously with Akeni being uh, killed, and they've got this big war coming now. Akeni is evacuating the home world of the uh, Celestial Lions after they've tried. To- it- it's like really, it's so like. The Inquisition are a bunch of assholes. Like, what the hell? You know, was this really necessary, lads? It makes me feel like this was just an order that was on the books and then the Imperium's fallen apart, but no one's rescinded the order. You know, so they're just going to... The assassins are going to keep trying to get him because they've been ordered to. That's their job. It's really weird. It's really weird. I don't think Gilliman would have signed this off. But uh, the sense of betrayal that this guy feels, Amadeus, uh, his chapter sort of throwing him to the wolves and just as a, as a ploy. You know, the the... The, the cover is that they're trying to recontact the Alara's Vale, you know, to join it, see how the Imperial war effort's going on the other side of this thing during the Indomitus Crusade. But really, it's just a ploy to get an assassin to um, kill Akene. It's really sad. It's really like, wow, everything you've been through is ultimately like just, just so some Inquisitor in an office somewhere can be like, ha! Oppose us, will you? <laughs> <laughs> it's slightly ridiculous because I was getting towards the end of the book as well and wasn't expecting it at all because there's kind of there's a whole thing she's really paranoid about one of her mates she thinks he's like a, a traitor uh, she thinks he's a traitor no one believes him and no one believes her and uh, it turns out she was right you know <laughs> but the whole I was getting towards the end of the book thinking why would they I was thinking this why would they send this ship there it seems ultimately pointless because what's he actually done you know, like the mission itself seems ultimately pointless. It seems weird that they would bother. But uh, yeah, that's why. That's why it was just a ploy to do this. To gain their trust, to get them in there so that one of them can be, you know, pull out their Catan face sword and chop off poor Kenny's head. So yeah, there we go. It's a great story though and a great sort of um, covering this war that's going on in this particular area of the galaxy. The characters we meet, the Empress Spears are a great, a great uh, Space Marine chapter got a great sort of uh, their, their martial society is uh, really interesting to me I like that um, you know if you're into space marines with tattoos these are the guys for you so yeah great story great story great read great return uh, from Aaron Dembski Bad and I'm looking forward to the next one which I'm hoping is coming soon okay that's about it I think I'm sort of halfway through the Luther novel at the minute I'll probably do a separate single book review on that this, again, was just to allow me to catch up. I know this isn't as detailed as you probably want or expect, but uh, it's the only way I could catch up and get these out of the way, I suppose. Because I'm, I'm just I'm not going to have the time to go back and do full reviews on them. And hopefully this was insightful. Hopefully you, you understand why I like these novels. Yeah, I don't know what this is really. It's mainly for my own sense of... Uh, I was feeling guilty because I hadn't talked about these books, and I wanted to. I just haven't had the time to do full reviews. The next one's coming up, though. There should be few, uh, there should be full ones. I've got the first of the Fallen, Luther. I'm nearly finished with that. It's, it's shaping up to be a, a, a good... Uh, I've got the audio books. A good listen, good read. And I've got the Al- Alpharius one, uh, Primark novel. It's probably the next one I'm going to get. And then I'm going to get through... I've got Im- The Infinite and the Divine, which I've got to get through. I started that, but I, I went straight on to um, the Luther one instead. And then uh, I've got Silent Hunters by Eduardo Albert. I don't know, that, those are kind of the ones I'm going to... I've got a couple, actually. I've got, I've got loads of books to read. It's ridiculous. Um, the Celestine one as well. I've got to finish reading that. I've got the actual book. I'm going to go... Uh, i have to sit down one day and just read through it. Because it's not a really lengthy book. I don't know. There's, those are my next kind of five 40k novels I'm going to get through. 
Um, I'll try and keep up with the novel things because I've slipped off, basically. I think the last one I did was Man Flare, and the one before that was the Lion novel. But they were like months apart I did those reviews. I do enjoy the reviews. I know they're not for everybody. Uh, you guys who are listening to this, you, they ob- you obviously enjoy it. And I enjoy talking about them, you know. I, I enjoy recounting these uh, these novels and reminding myself of what I liked about them. So hopefully that's it, yeah. I recommend all of these books if you've not read them. I mean, Empress Fears I've had for a long time, which has been on my reading list for a long, long time. And I just haven't got around to it until recently. So, yeah, uh, I recommend them all. Definitely get pick them up. I'll put some links in the description as well. If you use them, that helps me. Thanks to everybody supporting the channel. Uh, you can see your names going by here. I hope you, uh, yeah, I'll try and do something things like this more often. It's it's kind of it's unscripted. I'm just remembering things. The next not the next ones will be probably scripted to a certain degree. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I just had to get this done and out of the way. It's done now. I'm free. I'm free of the burden. I can concentrate on other stuff. I was just sat there like I can't do like hour-long book reviews on these books i can't do it i just haven't got the time you have to sit there write them then there's a recording blah, 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 blah. okay i've cleared the decks now i'm ready for uh to move forward into the future okay have a good one lads i'll be back soon thanks very much cheers bye